0: This podcast has been made possible through funding from Fans for Diversity. Hello and welcome to another Feh podcast episode. Um, football has now been back for a few weeks after the enforced break due to Covid. Um, and we're excited to see that both the women's and the men's Premier League um, has now started kicking off. Um, and it's going to be a pretty unique season, I think we can say. Uh, we're not really sure what to expect from this year's football, but actually in today's episode, we're going to be looking back at what happened last season and some events from from what... Small football that occurred. What happened?
1: Yeah, so Kick It Out recently released the discrimination statistics from two thousand and nineteen slash two thousand and twenty, which has shown big increases in discrimination reported in football. So we're joined today uh, by Chris Poweros, who is a trustee at Kick It Out. Um, she also is a co-chair of Proud Lily Whites um, Spurs LGBT plus fan group and a FA Inclusion Advisory Board member <laughs> and loads more. Twister. So hi, Chris. And also, first question, have we missed anything that you think we should say about you? Hello. No. <laughs> I mean, don't say anything. You don't have
2: to say anything. I mean, you know. I, funny, I, I haven't... I've been doing this for a few years now, and actually the most important thing for me is... The only reason why those things matter is because they're platforms with which to make change. Mm. So it doesn't really matter what you say I do. It's like as long as the work's getting
0: done, it doesn't matter if it's me or or, or anybody else, frankly. Mm. Well, we were just hearing from you just now that, yeah, you're working on a lot of stuff. Regarding yeah weekends kind of rumours around um, the the GRA reform so you're obviously always busy doing something or other um, fingers. That. But anyway, let's uh... <laughs> <laughs> But back to the football. Um, so about it if you want. <laughs> <laughs> so kick it out. Um, releases annual reports about discrimination in football um, and obviously every year they look at um, discrimination across um, a series of protected characteristics in both the professional and the grassroots game. Can you tell us perhaps a little bit of about what the statistics are, how they're collected, um, and what's what's in the report?
2: Well, I think what's important to note is that all the stats you hear from Kick It Out are just from the reports that Kick It Out receives. Mm-hmm. And there aren't any aggregated st- statistics across football. So, you know, there are all sorts of, you know, FEH receives reports, mm-hmm. um, Kick It Out receives reports, yep. the clubs receive reports, the FA receives reports, the Premier League receives reports, the EFL receives reports. <laughs> um, and there are multiple ways of, um, of reporting discrimination. Do you know what? Which is good. Mm-hmm. Because actually we want to make it easy for people um, to be able to, to report that. Because I think, you know... Even though the reporting isn't going to deliver anything in and of itself, we have to understand the nature of the problem that we're facing, and so there is a little bit of an issue that we don't have aggregated statistics, um, and it's one of the things that we're sort of we, we want to address it, kick it out because we know that it's just the tip of the iceberg, yeah. and it's only once we understand the iceberg <laughs> that we can figure out how to like you know navigate it rather than knocking into it, which is what we seem to do all the time. Mm.
0: Such a good point, yeah. And I think um, it's really interesting because there's always that um, that discussion, isn't there, around, um, you know, if there's an increase in reporting, well, is that just because people know how to report more and actually, you know, is this a realistic picture or is it just because... Um, uh, there's there's more awareness about it, or is is there actually the picture that there is discrimination increasing? And I kind of think actually I'm not sure if that conversation is helpful sometimes because surely we want to know what the current picture is at the moment. We want people to be reporting as much as possible so we know that the accurate picture to take appropriate action exactly as you say. But I think
2: there are two. There's another. There's an, There's another point to that, which is even if people are reporting more because they know how to report, we also know that lots of incidents happen that aren't reported. Yes.
0: Mm -hmm. Right?
2: You know, because actually, if you think about reporting something during a football match, um, you're there literally for 90 minutes. Do you want to spend a good proportion of the time that you're there to try and watch football reporting something because it is going to take you away from watching the game. So yes, of course you can report afterwards, but you know, depending on how the game goes, how you've got home, what's happening, you know, you may or may not report. So there are a number of factors there. Um, I think there, you know, I'm always looking at sort of ways to try and gather that information, even if um, the reporting doesn't happen during the game. But I think, you know, Yes, there might be more instances of reports because people know how to report, but I'm also quite clear that we don't, you know, there's another iceberg. So there's the one iceberg, which is, where's all the data being aggregated? And then there's another one of all the stuff that doesn't get reported. And I think mm-hmm. all we can do is try and make reporting easier, um, try and figure out how that we could get all of the reports together so we can understand the picture, um, but also, you know, and use whatever information we have to to
0: inform the change we want to make mm-hmm. yeah totally so we've kind of spoken a little bit about like reporting itself what were the biggest highlights from the report we saw some pretty shocking statistics to be honest what were kind of the the big things that kick well, it out concerned about
2: what we looked at was that you know in the last two years racism has doubled mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Re- reports of racism have doubled and in the last year reports of homophobia have doubled and, you know, at the same time, we kick it out, commissioned a um, YouGov poll. Um, and, you know, nearly 40 percent of fans have witnessed or heard an act of discrimination in the last year. Um, so and then a lot of that doesn't get reported, as we said, mm-hmm. because, um, you know, like for all the reasons we've just talked about. So there are, as I say, there are multiple things going on and and, you know, That's a shocking number, but you know what? For me, it would be a shocking number if it was five. Let alone having it having doubled, or let you know all the rest of it. Because actually, we've only got to look at the fact that this is some. This is you know, there's a there's a person on the end of that.
1: Mm. Yeah, you
2: know, there's a person on the end of that, and we don't know what that person's going through on that day. We don't know what that person's going through in their lives. We don't know if football is the only sanctuary they have. you know it's the only century that we have that they have for finding some peace in the world it, you know we, we've got no idea so imagine that on a scale of the hundreds of reports that we're talking about you know and and even if they're not directed at individuals which often they are directed at, at, play, at players and coaches or at individual fans but even if they're not directed at individual fans if you're that one queer fan in a stadium who hears something, mm. and, you know, for all your love of football, you then think, God, I don't belong here. Yeah.
0: Mm. Mm. You
2: know? Mm. And, and let alone that, that intersect. let alone if you're talking about race. Because you know what? The one thing that we can at least say as queer fans often, not always, is that we can pass, in inverted commas. Mm. So people don't necessarily know that we're queer. Yeah. So we, that might be um, a difficult thing for us to encounter, but you're not having to interface with it or navigate it in that moment because not everybody else around you knows. What if you're that black fan that hears racism? Mm. Not only do you have to hear that racism discrimination, you have to interact with all the people around you that are either going to get cross for you, or you see them ignoring it because they don't want any aggravation. And then how to, again, how does that make you feel? Mm. There are so many things going on there um, that you know that that we absolutely need to be addressing, and and a lot of that is about you know we have we have individual responsibilities I think as fans whether we're um you know to call out racism and 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 homophobia and transphobia whether we're whether we're black or queer, anyway, we have to call it out on an individual level. But then, of course, we need to make sure that the structures support it as well. Whether that's about ensuring the stewards can recognise and deal with mm-hmm. um, with discrimination, um, or whether it's you know ma- you know making sure that the policies, because you know football stadia actually have got really really good policies, mm-hmm. um, are are properly enforced. Now, of course, we saw at the back end of last season we weren't in football stadia. we were we were watching from our sofas and interacting online. And actually there's a responsibility then, I think, for the social media companies mm-hmm. to figure out how to deal with what goes on on Absolutely. their platforms. Yeah. You know, in the same way that you have regulate rules and regulations in Stadia, Mm-hmm. You should have rules and regulations on social media platforms. It's not good enough to say, "Oh, people might be in another country. We can't find them. We don't know." Mm-hmm. It's difficult to to figure out where this is happening. You know, mm-hmm. I'm told AI is very, very AI can be very, very clever mm-hmm. and can learn things. And I'm absolutely sure they can. So I'm sure if all these best tech brains <laughs> can turn their mind to this, that actually we might be able to do something. Because you know yeah. what? If you come into my house and you're homophobic or racist,
0: mm-hmm.
2: I can ask you to leave. And I think that's what the social media companies should be
1: doing as well. Yeah, Mm. And we have seen such a massive rise in like hate crime and hate speech and online spaces as we've moved virtually because of lockdown and coronavirus. So it's not like, uh, you know, this was something that was restricted to people being together. But, you know, the atmosphere of being at football or people having a few drinks, this is something that's you know, deep-rooted in people because they've just taken it from Mm. that atmosphere into another space, do you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And there is some evidence to show that a lot of the discrimination that happens online around football, particularly around racism, goes a bit quiet during football matches. Mm. So, because, of course, you don't have the same... um, uh, You don't have the uh, online access in stadia that you do have when you're at home so you know that there are you know there is some correlation there and we have to address it
0: Mm, that's really interesting yeah it's interesting isn't Mm it And what was your report? uh, Sorry, what was your reaction to the report? Um, You know, from seeing the figures that you saw? And I think for me in particular, that was a 95% increase in uh, reports of of homophobic abuse just was absolutely shocking. What, What was your reaction to it?
2: Well, again, I think you know, like it is, you know, it is, it's shocking. It's it's a sad indictment of the game. But I also go to the point of thinking, well, I'm hoping because of the work that the LGBTQ plus fan groups do, for example, that there that's why there's more actual reporting. Mm-hmm. But again, I go to the point that I also understand that not everything gets reported. So it's the same cycle. Um, but I think you know. What it serves to do is show us that there's there's more there's work that we have to do, and it's important that you're we're having this conversation, that you're doing this podcast, that FVH do all the work that they do, that Kick It Out does all the work that it that it does in terms of both in terms of anti discrimination and inclusion. You know, there's education work to do. There's work to do to diversify the to diversify the the um, industry to make sure that we've got more black people, more queer people kind of working in football. And so we identified stuff earlier. You know, we don't get to those stages and that we make um, the game more inclusive. So it's less, you're less likely to have that kind of stuff happening. I mean, that's the longer term sort of goal for me. It's like, I've, you know, I've loved football since I was, I first went to a match when I was six. And I've, you know, and I've loved it ever since. And I love that feeling I got, I first got when I was six years old and I walked up the steps at White Hart Lane and saw the pitch and all of those people and that kind of sense of kind of belonging to something that was much bigger than me and a sense of kind of hope and excitement, you know, after the match, sometimes despair, but it was all together. <laughs> mm. And I don't want to deny that to anybody, you know? And mm. I know, and I've heard so many sort of, you know, I call this anecdata because of course it's, you know, <laughs> it's anecdotal, but it still matters from you know from 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 our members from other LGBTQ plus fans who who love football as a kid but then, as they come out, they think, "Oh my God, you know, this isn't for me." You know, particularly for gay men, mm-hmm. you know, this that sort of toxic environment. It's you know that le- those that sort of mas- toxic masculinity that, that football is sort of associated with it's not always the case. Mm-hmm. Isn't for me. You know, for our trans members, particularly those who don't pass, thinking, "God, if I go to football, I'm just gonna," you know, "I'm laying myself open for abuse and 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 and, and potentially violence." You know. Mm-hmm. And actually, you know, so that's why the LGBTQ plus fan groups are important, because then you've got people to go to games with. You've got your own community to, to be there with. But, you know, I want that to be normalised so much that we don't have to worry about LGBTQ plus fan groups anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the ultimate goal. Yeah. And so that's what all this what I was saying at the beginning, like the reason why I do, I do all of this stuff it's precisely from as many angles as possible whether it's at the grassroots level of doing the work with the fan groups or uh, at the level of you know the a, a governing body or a charity like kick it out to try and make that change happen in a positive way so we can normalize um being lgbtq plus in in a stadium but you know i know there's a lot of work to do because you know we also recognize that in football that it's unacceptable to be racist Mm -hmm. yet people still are racist Mm -hmm. you know it's a bit more acceptable to be homophobic Mm -hmm. um but it's unacceptable to be racist and people still are racist there's all that there's still that all that work to do but there's work to do from a level of education there's work to do to make sure that we've got you know we've got a workforce that reflects the, the 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 people on the pitch at an elite level you know, mm. if you look, I think something like 30, 30 to forty percent of our of Premier League footballers are black. Mm. And if you look at the what the makeup is in the Premier League boardrooms, if you look at the media, uh, all of those things. So there's work. You know, there's work to do at all at all levels. Um, but you know. There are, there are lots of good people and lots of organisations working on it. And it's, for me, it's always about doing it top down and bottom up. So you mm-hmm. have to work at the levels of the governing bodies and in the football clubs, etc. But you also have to have some will from the grassroots, from the fans etc and you know and there are there there's, there is stuff happening we just have to join it up better i think mm, mm-hmm. it's a
1: great comment yeah i have to say you've done an excellent job of answering every single one of our <laughs> questions in one fast <laughs> <laughs> It's no it's good it's good <laughs> i think that's something we talk about a lot is like the like how what football needs to do to be better essentially like I think it's really amazing and fantastic that there's these organizations and charities and LGBT fan groups doing all Mm -hmm. this work but some responsibility has to stop at football clubs and I think what Mm -hmm. you've said about um you know like you know at different levels rather than just Mm -hmm. players there has to be representation I think that's a really big thing and I'm wondering if you think there's anything else that you think, like, football clubs, grassroots or professional, like, need to be doing?
2: Well, we're talking about lots of of different kinds of organisations because if you look at, like, Premier League clubs, they're they're good functioning businesses. Mm -hmm. And so from a... In terms of kind of protected characteristics, in terms of their, their staff, whether they're their players or the staff, they all have really good, kind of, really good policies and work that they... stuff that they they, that they do internally like every good business does
1: Mm
0: -hmm.
2: so you know i mean i can only i only know sort of i don't know the ins and outs of loads of organizations but you know i know that tottenham for example is really proud of the work it does in terms of equality diversity and inclusion you know they've got like an equality i'm an an equality champion it's one of Mm the latest things that that they're doing there and they have people across the business who specifically look at their edi work Mm -hmm. you know in all their different departments and again with a view to not having to do that but while we do that's really important Mm -hmm. um and so i think you know and the the upcoming sort of fa voluntary code is not to be sort of Um, sniff that I think that's going to be really important because I think Mm -hmm. you know um, Paul Elliott who's the chair of the um, inclusion advisory board has been working hard with you know with Sanjay Bandari, who's the chair of kick it out and and um, and with the PFA and lots of other organizations the chair of the chairs of various football clubs etc to enact this voluntary code to look at you know what the makeup of boardrooms that like across football and, and and all sorts of, you know, you should have a look at it. Actually, there's an open letter that Paul wrote probably over the summer, sometime. Um, And that's really important. That's going to get launched in October. And there's a lot of work that's Mm -hmm. gone into that, you know, and again, that's going to make a, that will make a huge difference because actually you've got, you've got football clubs saying, actually, we understand that we need to do something here. And that was a, you know, that's a response to, to the black lives matter movement. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again it's a it's a travesty that it's taken like something so tragic to Mm. to give us to give us this impetus to act in in a different way but it's important that we've got the framework to do that now you know Mm. we don't have to explain every time you want to do something that's kind of uh, proactive in terms of inclusion whether you know in terms of race then at least you're not having to explain why it's important Mm. because we have a framework um to do that so you know I think there's a lot there. I think the, the problem is, I've, I I don't know, I haven't, th- I haven't thought about this before, so let me um, <laughs> figure out this thought. But I think that with COVID now as well, football clubs like, are businesses
0: mm-hmm.
2: and they've got a lot to contend with. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, is that, so what do you, you know, and I'm not saying that, that it's not an excuse, but as you've got so much to do, it's like how, how you've, got to, you've got to do this as well as everything else. Mm-hmm. So when you're, and if you're looking at kind of grassroots football, you know, as 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 I don't know what's going to happen. You know, we can end up in another in another kind of lockdown in the coming weeks. I don't know. When that, then if you can't play grassroots football, then and then it has to get up and running. Then you're thinking about the specifics of how you run your local football team. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there's all the EDI stuff sort of plays second. Now, I, don't, I think the thing is, and what is re- what is really good, I think, about that the elite football clubs have the ability for it not to be second. It's because it's already embedded. Mm-hmm. But while you're embedding it, which you might be doing at a grassroots level, you have to give it that little bit of extra energy in order to have it embedded and already like, as part of all your processes. So I think that might be an issue uh, potentially at, at grassroots level, I mean, I don't know. As I say, I'm not completely convinced by that. <laughs> I'm, only, I'm only just kind of getting my thoughts together, so I'm not completely convinced by it, but...
0: Mm. I think jumping back to what you were saying about kind of the bottom up side of things as well I think that's absolutely absolutely crucial and and you saying kind of that anecdata stuff I'm going to take that word you know in our youth panel (laughs) in our youth panel we've certainly heard those stories that you know um, and certainly you know kind of the men in our youth panel left football and you know have somehow been able to find a route back in a place back in football where they feel comfortable be that as part of kind of a fan group where they see other people who look like themselves or um lg specific lgbt specific um football group uh, football clubs and i think for me this is where and i'm not just going to plug the youth panel but kind of young (laughs) young people in general i think this is where there's such a power to engage young people and certainly get them more integrated and involved um at different levels of governance within structures as well and especially in grassroots football you know young people want to be involved want to have their say and also want to make a space where people feel welcome and i I think that's another challenge for football you know how do we properly engage young people motivate young people to to help drive forwards the future of football i think
2: that's really really important and it's interesting actually because if i think about you know like, I'm, I'm also um, involved with the Football Supporters Association. I'm on mm. their board and their National Council. And, you know, the demographic of that National Council <laughs> is old. I yeah. mean, you know, I'm old. <laughs> There's no getting around it. <laughs> of course, because if you think about that kind of stuff, it's like around governance of football.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, you know, like, you're literally, like, making kind of a... a voluntary work out of your hobby Mm -hmm. and so actually you might have the space to do that a little bit more when you you know so i'm really interested i think it's a really good question of how you better engage young people because i can see it in in a lot of this in a lot of this stuff um you know particularly if i think about uh, think about the FSA or even if I think about the Proud Whites, is that like we do have you know we we've got a broad range of members you know we recently did a member survey we've literally got mm-hmm. members from like 18 to six, over 65 oh. however the, the biggest active members are in their 30s and 40s mm-hmm. um, not you know we've got members in our 20s as I say in late teens and 20s but the active ones are the 30s and 40s and I yeah. try. I'm interested in understanding why that is Mm -hmm. um i kind of feel like if i think about myself in my late
1: teens and 20s i genuinely had better things to do no well i i agree and i think like the biggest thing i hope the youth panel aren't going to listen to this and feel like we're saying bad things because i'm not but i think the biggest thing with motivating the youth panel Mm -hmm. like as the coordinators is that like they just have things that they're doing mm. that they that like you know sorting out career things going to yeah, university yeah, like doing yeah. things that young people are doing whereas mm. you get to a certain point and maybe you're a bit more
0: settled you've been mm. in a job for a while you have more capacity to do things exactly mm. yeah. you've got that community around you haven't you you know so there's a bit more safety that you can go out and, and mm. be more active in different areas mm. Yeah. But I think you know
2: it's an it's an important question. I think particularly for these kinds of you know for the kinds of grassroots organisations like the Proud Lily Whites, because it's like actually it's important to hear. Um, diverse voices whether Mm -hmm. it's in terms of whether it's in terms of age
0: yeah Mm -hmm. you know we
2: we always talk about diverse voices in terms of you know in terms of race and gender Mm -hmm. identity sexual orientation disability etc but age is really important as well um because it you know there there will be different considerations if you're a 20 year old lgbtq plus spurs fan or a 45 year old Mm -hmm. lgbtq plus spurs fan and then actually it's important that we that 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 we address all of that
0: Mm. And I I wonder, Chris, something I've always been musing about is do do people recognise homophobic language? You know, do people actually hear it and think, you know... um, someone calling the goalkeeper a puff for wearing tights or something you know so someone hear that and think oh you know oh, that's really homophobic would they know to call it out you know would people recognize racist language I, I think they probably you know would recognize racist language or sexist language more and I wonder you know with a younger generation of football fans coming in being in stadiums you know I wonder how that would change and maybe you know let's have this conversation in 20 years <laughs> and, and see if that has changed but you know the more that there are different bodies. Ed- Educate, providing education at um kind of younger ages the more young people are switched on and engaged in these areas and having these discussions you know yes it will be a generational change but i think it would be interesting to see how that situation evolves and, and what young people how they how they help the game shape and improve no,
2: i think that's absolutely right but i also think that um there's there there might be some terminology that you know you kind of think, oh well, maybe does anyone do people understand that? But then there's other stuff that people just think because it's football that you've got a pass. Yeah, yeah,
0: no, you're right. So, yeah,
2: well, I just think we have to be a little bit careful of that. Mm. That mm. you know, because I mean, I've got um, it's always interesting actually the the sort of the generational thing because I think about I've got an aunt who's eighty one, I think we went and saw her a few weeks ago and she crochets Mm -hmm. and she crocheted lots of like those sort of little rainbows Mm -hmm. um, during lockdown for the neighbours because they live in a Mm -hmm. cul-de-sac and she, you know, (laughs) likes to to show the support of the NHS. And she said, I made you one, um, but I changed these colours because I noticed that the rainbow flag in terms of LGBTQ plus was a little bit different to the NHS one. Mm -hmm. She's 81. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, And just because that's, she, it's important to her, mm-hmm. so a not a barrier to her, yeah, understanding and, and making sure that, that she's properly sort of inclusive and, and, and stuff. So,
0: yeah, so true. You yeah.
2: Know, I, I get it, and but but then I think there's also because I think often the other thing is, though, I will say is that often the most times when you call something out of football, whether it's racism or um homophobia or transphobia, is people go, Oh, shit sorry, mm. I see. <laughs> 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 say that. sometimes they double down mm. that's when you might want to report it mm-hmm. but mostly people go oh yeah okay you're right mm-hmm. yeah yeah Fine. that's all you want really is that and then you just get on with the game mm. yeah yeah
1: and that's just the response for me and everyone's different, so I'm talking on a personal level, that's just the response I always want to those things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't need us to have a really big, long dialogue about it unless that's something that you really want and then I can set aside some time to do that. Yeah. I just want you to go, oh, okay, yeah, that I understand where I've done something wrong, sorry, and then we can just, like, move on from it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, and it's... And that does happen quite a lot. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That was just a speculation, really. Sorry. <laughs> Go on Beatrice with your question. Oh, I've lost
0: it now. <laughs> um, I can't think of I <laughs> <laughs> don't know. What's our... that? Yeah. I, I mean, we'll is there to. any any other thoughts from you, Chris, that, um, you know, this season coming up, as you said before, who knows what it's going to happen? It's certainly going to be unique. We may have football, we may not have football. You know, are there, are there any things that you would like to see as a priority happen this season?
2: That's a good, that's something, that's a good question. I mean, <clears throat> discrimination aside, the thing that I'm sort of most... The thing that kind of gets me um, when I've watched football, at least this season, is I don't want to get used to watching it at home.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: you know like because i have sat down and watched each game and i've kind of liked it it's fine mm-hmm. but of course you realize the thing that me for me realizing for me is that football isn't just about football of course it's yeah. not yeah. you know it's not like watching a game of tennis because you think it's an interesting sport football's <laughs> about <laughs> the rituals that you have around yes. it you know yeah. if for many years i went with my you know i went with my cousin when i well, when i first got my season ticket In the late 90s, I went with, like, a couple of my mates. Then I went with my cousin, she's no longer with us. Then I went with my wife, she's no longer with us. Then I started going with some friends. Now I go with my nephew, creating new things with my nephew. Mm. And that, all of that is so important. And it's about the things I remember. Of course, I remember I remember results and stuff. Yeah. But I also remember, like, you know, kissing the bald head of the man in front of me, <laughs> throwing my nephew up in the air when we've, you know, when we score something. I remember being in Amsterdam for the, the Champions League semi-final when wow. that goal went in. Wow. And, you know, I was in the middle of a conversation with the woman next to me about the fact that she was a dog groomer. <laughs> <laughs> because like we, were, like we thought the game was over, and we were just having a little chit chat about dog grooming, you know? And that's the stuff that you remember, and that's the stuff that like makes football so special because that sense of community and connectedness that I was talking about earlier, mm. not about the football. And I really felt that yesterday as well when like, you know, we scored five goals yesterday, mm. Harry Kane scored the fifth goal, and I just thought I wonder if some of the joys out of it if you haven't got a crowd to celebrate with, mm. it just kind of feels like a bit of a train. You know, you scored a goal, you high five your your teammate, mm. you know. So, um, I know that doesn't answer your question in terms of in terms of, uh, <laughs> of, of what stuff to look at, but I think you know, I think stuff around I th- this is the opportunity we're going to get to really understand what's going on with social media and to really, mm. I hope, um, work with the social media companies to figure out how you're going to deal with how they're going to deal Mm. with discrimination on their platforms Mm. and i think football can be a good sort of lightning rod for that Mm -hmm. because we know that there are those times during um and after football matches where you can see that but you know we know that it's a problem more generally on social media so that's not just about football but actually you can use football as a sort of a test case to figure out how to address this stuff and i think you know, because we're going to be at home, and everybody's got a signal in their house. You know, pretty much everyone's got a, a signal in their house. I think that you know, this is the time to really address that. Definitely,
0: and I think you know your your memories of football. You know, wanting to be back in the stadium. I think that's so relatable for so many people, isn't it? And it just highlights in such a <laughs> such a well put way actually the importance of football, the importance of football to build communities and to be that environment where someone can turn up and feel part of something bigger and you know if the if that individual turns up wanting to be part of um a club and here's some homophobic chant here's some racism here's sexism they're not going to want to come back you know that's not a community that they can access and as much as they love football they want to be involved you know they want to have a chat to those people who could be dog groomers who could be plumbers who could be who knows what um you know actually they're not going to have that space and they might then never approach that stadium or another football club again you know so we really football really has that responsibility to make changes to make sure that anyone and everyone has that space to and feel accepted and welcome mm-hmm correct <laughs> and what about proud lily whites in terms of going forwards you know there's always discussions with fan groups about you know um reaching out to different members growing you know what's happening you know really connecting with with lgbt supporters um i really messed up that acronym tonight <laughs> what, what what's next for the proud lily whites oh, it's
2: been really interesting for us actually because i think because of um because of lockdown we're very conscious that um You know, we know that there are, you know, we know that there's kind of high levels of isolation in the Mm LGBTQ community. So we're very conscious of that. We're also conscious that we may have members that might be in um, in family situations where they're not able to be out Mm -hmm. um, and what that might look like for them. Um, But actually, um, we sort of turned that into an opportunity and did lots more stuff Mm -hmm. like this online um so actually during lockdown when there was no football we did a couple of um you know talking tottenham on a wednesday night we (laughs) called it we just got people together and we had um you know we have like different conversation points and activities and stuff and we did like a really big quiz which was really good fun we had like 60 odd people turned up to this quiz Mm -hmm. and we had um questions from some players that had been pre-recorded that we jumped oh, in cool. we did picture rounds of like guess the player from when they were kids <laughs> which was, was a really nice thing oh, and, so like, it, it, from all over the world and that was mm, the other thing mm. is you know Tottenham's got a global fan base and we there are you know lgbtq plus fans all over the world um and actually you know we we're able to um you know we were able to kind of connect with our, fan, our um, members from all over the world because of mm-hmm. course you know mostly our meetups were, were um, in person mm-hmm. so we'd meet before a game or whatever and now obviously um, I've just talked about what we did in lockdown but then when the game when the game started again we basically opened a call a zoom call sort of 45 minutes before kickoff um, we keep it open during the game, but or people because people's streams are in different things. But at least mm. you kind of, you know, people came off mute and said a few things and then chat <laughs> at half time and then chat afterwards. Okay. And, you know, there was one call where there was um, there was someone on from um, the mostly North Americans, but there was someone on from Brooklyn, someone from Kentucky, someone from Ohio, <laughs> someone else in Nova Scotia, people from <laughs> all over the UK. Um you know, we've just had some fans, some members join from Ghana, you know. And so, and it's really good because actually we wouldn't have connected in, in the same way if mm-hmm. this hadn't happened. And I think even when we do go back into stadiums, you know, not everybody's, not everybody's got a season ticket or has mm-hmm. access to the games. So we'll always make sure that these calls are open, even, even if some of us are in in the stadium. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's been an opportunity for us to think about what a sort of a new platform looks like in terms of engaging with our members and in terms of sort of being part of that community and you know given everything we just talked about it's really important to have that because that's part of what football's about um and actually i need to sort of put my money where my mouth is because whenever <laughs> i join the call i would turn it off before the game starts because i find it really i it's really it's about as I, I love being in the stadium with all those people, it's like being online seems weird. It's, it's <laughs> having the camera on you. I think. Yes. Yeah. You know, like I, I, I don't know. So, <laughs> have to figure out how to do that. <laughs> you know, those are the things that we're looking at. Is about how we can sort of continue to develop that while people are while people are at home, mm-hmm. and how we can you know think about the isolation and and also you know if you aren't out, it's kind of. Um, it's kind of okay. You, you can imagine that you'll be all right being on on a Zoom call about football,
1: mm-hmm. even yeah. if it's with other
2: LGBTQ plus fans. So mm-hmm. there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of something like that. So mm-hmm. and has been interesting to, to see what happens with all the, the other campaigns. You know what's going to mm-hmm. happen with Rainbow Laces this year if there's no fans in stadiums. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen with the, the Feh stuff if mm-hmm. we you know um, if it's all online? I mean I don't yeah. know. You know you hope, you hope by February will be. In a slightly better place. But I mean, I don't
1: know. It's really really hard to say. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. And I think it's so wonderful just hearing what you've been Mm. up to. And I think that if we can say anything, then one of the positives from lockdown and coronavirus (laughs) has been this more developed nuanced understanding of connectivity and how we can be connected without having to be physically together Mm. and I found that in my work and in the youth panel Mm. and in my volunteering like you know it doesn't all have to be physical events and there's actually loads of people who don't come to those events and have never told me that they don't come to those events Mm. but now I'm doing online events Mm. they're like Oh yeah, I just yeah. don't ever want to come to physical events, mm. and I would have never known that without
0: lockdowns. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? So yeah. that's
1: really like quite special, I think. Yeah. yeah, exactly.
0: I think yeah, increasing the accessibility to these things is something that we're gonna see continue from now on which i think is just so so positive i know with the month of action you know any events that happen well let's make sure that they're recorded and sent out and virtual so that people can attend hopefully internationally like with with uh, the fan group that you've got going on at proud lily whites yeah chris we absolutely Chris, we end um, our interviews, we're trying to do it, I guess, a little bit of a catchphrase or whatever. We we ask people, you know, what, what are you proud of? And it really could be anything or everything. So, Chris, what, what are you proud of?
2: <laughs> I'm pr- Okay, I am proud of what well, we're talking about football. I'm not going to make it, I'm not going to relate it to because I've already told you about what I'm proud of in terms of all this work Mm -hmm. that I do. I'm really proud that um, I indoctrinated my little nephews enough (laughs) that they're both massive Spurs fans now. Shocking. (laughs) They're 12 and 10, Mm -hmm. and when they were both born, their photographs were in the programme, they became Spurs dribblers, whatever it's called. (laughs) The The 12-year-olds are slightly less interested, but the 10-year-old's like, you know, he's the one that... Goes with me to football now, so it's all good. I'm, I'm proud of that. That's great
0: oh, me. I love that.
1: that yeah, that's good. a really, really
0: yeah. lovely image as well. Yeah.
1: That's fab. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure mm. talking to you. Mm-hmm. Thank you so great much. To you, Thanks for answering all our questions without being asked.
0: <laughs> um, Exemplary. <yeah>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It's good. I'm not. It's not a bad thing at all. It's a very good thing. <laughs> <laughs> Some people need a bit more, like, coercing to get the information from. But you just went for it, so it's good. It has been really
2: nice talking to you, and
1: uh, hopefully we'll catch up soon. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Bye, Bye, bye. <laughs> so, if you want any inf- more information, you can find us at www.footballvshomophobia.com. We're also on Twitter, um, at
0: FBHTweets.
1: We're on Facebook and you can just search Football Versus
0: Homophobia and you'll find us. <laughs> <laughs> and we're also on Instagram at football underscore V underscore homophobia. So yeah. I'm sure you'll be able to find us there. And use the hashtag um, feh 2020 and um, we'll see all of the stuff you post.
1: Yeah. Thanks for listening.
0: And uh, see you next month.
1: Bye. Bye. Bye.